Justin Pitt. He was a very close friend of Mrs. Onassis's. Mrs. Onassis's. That's hard to pronounce. Excuse me? Nothing, nothing. Mrs. Landis, there's something wrong with this copying machine. It's all coming out slanted. Now, I don't know if this is your department or not. Justin Pitt, this is Elaine Bennis. <laughs> oh, charmed. I was a great admirer of Mrs. Onassis. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the hilarious Mr. Pitt, who was played by the late, great Ian Abercrombie. Ian appeared in seven episodes of the series and is considered by many to be one of the greatest bosses to ever appear on the show. Yeah, I absolutely love Mr. Pitt. I thought he was one of the highlights of season six and also just a really nice story arc for Elaine that season because she had just come off working at Pendant Publishing with Mr. Lippman for several years. But Lippman was more of an intimidating boss in a lot of ways and certainly a stickler when it came to actual work, whereas Mr. Pitt was a stickler, but it was more about these odd trivial tasks, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I just liked that change for Elaine, because by the end of season five, it looked like she was on her way up. You know, she got that big job promotion at Pendant Publishing. And then next thing you know, the company goes out of business and she's stuck working for this big baby for an entire season. But I loved it. I loved the dynamic between Elaine and Mr. Pitt. And I really thought it gave Julia the opportunity to display some of her best comedic skills and take the character to places that we had never seen before. So I'm definitely a big fan of the Mr. Pitt story arc that year. Yeah, I love Mr. Pitt, too. I think that he's just one of the most unique characters of the show. And I'll go into a few reasons why later on, but it's just really just so many great memorable things in well Seinfeld was really in its prime was really you know really hot and really popular and here we get this character that just again brought things to another level I also liked how the show was evolving by season six and we started seeing more of these wacky memorable recurring characters because when you think about it the first four or five seasons pretty much just had the main four Newman the parents and Uncle Leo but by season six, we're introduced to Banya, Putty, Watley, Mr. Steinbrenner, even though he was technically introduced in the season five finale. Season six was his first full season. Mr. Wilhelm, Jay Peterman makes his first appearance at the end of the season. And it really all started with Mr. Pitt in that premiere episode, The Chaperone. So I like to think he sort of paved the way for a lot of these other memorable characters we would eventually see. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great point. But speaking of the chaperone, let's talk a little bit more about that episode. This is when Elaine has her job interview at Doubleday and they're looking for somebody to replace Jackie Onassis. And Elaine's interview doesn't go very well. She doesn't have the grace that Jackie O had. So Miss Landis tells her, we'll make our decision in a few days and we'll let you know. I have no chance, do I? No. <laughs> I love Miss Landis. She's one of the characters that not too many people always remember, but she does a fantastic job, and I love whatever her and Elaine interact. All right, look, I don't have Grace. I don't want Grace. I don't even say Grace, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but as Elaine is leaving, a woman buzzes on the intercom to tell Miss Landis that Justin Pitt is coming to see her. He was a very close friend of Mrs. Onassis. Mrs. Onassis. It's hard to say. <laughs> And this was the clip we played at the top of the show, but Mr. Pitt arrives and he tells Miss Landis that there's something wrong with the copy machine. It's all coming out slanted. Now, I don't know if this is your department or not. <laughs> yeah, and before we get into that, I always found it interesting that they say his name, Justin Pitt. Yeah. And I think that's the first and only time we ever hear it. But maybe like one other time uh, in the Diplomats Club, but there, it's really not often said it's always mr pitt i always found that interesting and i wonder how they came to that name because mr pitt is kind of seems like an old money type character we'll get into it a little more but it's just not a name that i thought kind of ever fit him 
like Justin seems like a, like a kid's name, you know, from the nineties, eighties or nineties, not really somebody from that era of, and from that high society type. I could be wrong. I don't want to offend anybody named Justin who's in the upper crust. <laughs> that is a good point. I never really thought of that. But yeah, I love how after Mr. Pitt brings up the copy machine to Miss Landis, she just completely ignores him and introduces him to Elaine. <laughs> just completely glosses over it. Yeah. <laughs> and how would you describe this first encounter between Elaine and Mr. Pitt? It's really odd. It's interesting how Elaine is dressed because I don't think we ever really see Elaine with like this headscarf and sunglasses look. It, it was just a very kind of odd thing, like almost she was channeling, you know, Jackie O, whether subconsciously or not. We we know that she's been into the Kennedys, you know, in the baby shower. She's like he's fawning all over the Kennedys. Why can't I meet a Kennedy? And then obviously we all know what happens in, you know, the Virgin and the contest and all that. I think the only other time she we ever see her wearing a headscarf is after, you know, the bird flies into her giant freak head. I'm a walking candy apple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and I think she kind of really plays into it as soon as Landis says, you know, oh, he was a big friend of Mrs. Onassis. And, you know, he's kind of an older man, very distinguished. And maybe the fact that, you know, he was friends with her, you know, she thinks, oh, maybe he can do me some favors or something. Yeah. And then in the next scene, Elaine and Mr. Pitt are at Monk's. And I think we'll play the rest of this clip. The resemblance is uncanny. <laughs> Even the brown eyes. Well, a lot of people have brown eyes. Mm. No, there's something else. An indefinable quality. Grace? <laughs> grace, yes. Oh, you think I have grace? <laughs> some grace, yes. Just some? Well, you don't want too much grace, or you won't be able to stand. <laughs> oh, Mr. Pitt. <laughs> Elaine, I want you to come and work for me as my personal assistant. Now, I'll pay you the same as Pendant, but I would need you to start right away. So the first thing I think of when I watch this scene is that John O'Hurley mentioned on the DVDs how Julia had a face that the camera just loved, but she also had the courage to twist it in any direction that she wanted to. So basically, she wasn't afraid to be unattractive. And we see that in this scene, all of her terrific facial expressions and the way she delivers those lines makes the scene so much funnier and just shows what a terrific comedic actress she is. Yeah, that's the exact same line I was thinking of, too. And whenever I watch this scene, it's really a standout. And you almost forget it's like, oh, yeah, this is from The Chaperone. It's like, and it seems like it should be part of its own episode almost. But it is really interesting, too, how they went to the coffee shop. I don't know why that kind of happened. Like, I don't see Mr. Pitt being like, oh, let's go to, you know, let's go to Monk's. You know, I thought he would take her to like some high end, you know, tea room or something. Um, but they end up going to the coffee shop. And I think that, you know, Pitt's a real smooth talker here. I think that that's kind of one way that he's gotten through life is he is he's very charming. And Elaine really responds to that. You know, we, we know she likes the British guys. Uh, you know, we know she likes the older guys as well. So and it's just so much fun to, like, see Julia making those faces. And I think another part of it is Pitt knows that he can kind of let his true self come through. Like he doesn't have to put up a wall. And again, we'll go into more detail with this later with the with the other scenes because we see it come into full bloom. But I think that it's really important that we have Julia doing that great physical comedy kind of sell it to have Pitt be able to sell it. You know, have Ian Abercrombie be able to sell it that somebody like, OK, there's something in her that he sees that this is special to him. <laughs> And do you think that Elaine is flirting with him at all in the scene? Because like you said, we do know that she has dated older men in the past. So do you think there's anything to that or do you think she's just being friendly? I think it's partly being friendly. I think it's also, again, she's looking for work. Uh, you know, I think she's kind of figured out that Mr. Pitt is maybe more, you know, has connections or is kind of powerful in the company. So, you know, she's putting her best foot forward. 
And yeah, I'm sure this is probably a little bit of flirtation going on, but not to the extent that she actually, you know, wants to be with him. And then later on in the episode, I like when Elena's telling Jerry about her new job with Mr. Pitt and how she has to attend to his personal affairs, like buying him socks. And Jerry's like, hey, maybe you can pick me up a pair of underwear. <laughs> and Elaine does that sarcastic laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't respect my work at all, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> now, it seems like everything is going great for Elaine so far. She's getting paid the same amount as Pendant, and she seemed to be hitting it off with Mr. Pitt at Monk's. But then things start to take a turn for Elaine when she arrives with Mr. Pitt's new socks, and he's not very happy with them because they're too tight. They're cutting off the circulation. So Elaine tells him that she'll take them back and get him different ones. And then I love when Mr. Pitt answers the phone and Jerry's on the other line and he's like, hey, Mr. Pitt, is Elaine there? Oh, I love that, too. Like they're teenagers. <laughs> yep. Jerry tells her they're all going to Atlantic City and he wants to know if she's in. But when she asks Mr. Pitt if she can get him his new socks tomorrow, he tells her, I was hoping for my new socks today. <laughs> Elaine tries to convince him it'll only be one more day. And he says, I'm sorry, I must have them today. And then we get that classic Julia delivery that only she can do as she's holding back her tears and tells Jerry, I can't go. Because <laughs> I have to replace these socks and get different ones. Elaine! I gotta go. <laughs> no one else can deliver those lines the way Julia can. Jason tried to do it in the foundation when he's on the phone with Jerry and he asks Wick if the meeting is almost over and Wick's like, oh, not even close. <laughs> That's right. Can't go. What do you mean you can't go? There's two really cute girls at the counter eating grilled cheese. Cheese, George. Cheese. <laughs> But getting back to Mr. Pitt, um, this is really where you start to see his true character, I think, because, like I said, he acted like a real charmer back in Monks. You know, he kind of acts like the grumpy but sort of lovable, you know, old man that's been around for a while. And now it's starting to show like this other side of him where he doesn't take very well to disappointment. And you know, he, tomorrow, you know, hoping for my new socks today. He's like he's like a little kid. And I think that he's always really had used to having things his way. He probably wants socks that they haven't manufactured in 50 years. You know, who knows? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then it gets even better a few scenes later when we cut to Mr. Pitt trying on a different pair of socks this time. And this is probably our favorite Mr. Pitt moment from the episode. It's good. But, but what? Ultimately, I don't think they'll stay up. No. For a while, yes, but not in the long run. But that's why I got you the tighter ones. Don't forget about those. <laughs> why do you keep mentioning those? What do you want? I want a decent sock that's comfortable that'll stay on my foot. Oh, man. I mean, what an intense scene. Like, again, talk about scenes that Seinfeld plays for comedy that could be, like, really dramatic if it was tweaked a little bit. Like Elaine is just desperate. She's ready to start crying. And, you know, Mr. Pitt is ready to explode. I mean, his Ian Abercrombie, his face gets so red when he's shouting that he wants a decent pair of socks that are comfortable. <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> like it's like a cartoon character. <laughs> Getting that vein again. I know about the vein. <laughs> And you talk about Julia being so desperate. I mean, this is something we never saw with Mr. Littman. I, I love that delivery when she's like, what do you want? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think she's ever had to do this either. Like, I'm sure she's had some odd experiences in her life, but nothing, she's never had to have a job like this where, you know, some, somebody that's so demanding and just doesn't just can't handle like does really doesn't know what he wants, but just can't handle being wrong, I guess. There was also an additional scene with Elaine and Mr. Pitt after this that ended up getting cut. They're in his office and Mr. Pitt walks in and tells Elaine, these Q-tips are no good. And he like throws the box at her. They wouldn't. I need a flexible kind. And Elaine tells him that that's all they had. And he tells her, you must go someplace else. I need my Q-tips today. 
And as he's telling her this, Elaine was watching the Miss America pageant and Miss Rhode Island was singing. And Mr. Pitt walks by and goes, "Ooh, dreadful singing. <laughs> that would have been kind of fun to see because uh, we get to see you know, Jerry and George watching it. It would have been fun to see Elaine as well. And even though she couldn't go to AC, that uh, she was there with them in spirit. Yeah. And one other behind the scenes story about this episode, Ian Abercrombie had a blast playing this character. But in that first episode, he went up to Larry David because he was worried that he was doing a little too much with the character. And he wondered if he should tone it down a little bit. And Larry just looked at him and went, have you ever seen the show? (laughs) (laughs) But overall, an amazing first episode for Mr. Pitt. And he was only scheduled to do one episode, but they liked him so much that they decided to make him a recurring character. A brilliant decision. Brilliant decision. Yeah. Larry actually asked Julia if she would be okay working for Mr. Pitt for an entire season. And Julia said, yeah, that sounds like fun to sort of play the groveling part to this nut job. Yeah. It's comedy gold. And and thank God Ian Abercrombie was uh, willing to do it as well. It was such a great sport. Absolutely. And before we go any further, I wanted to ask you now that we got his first episode out of the way. What do you think it is that Mr. Pitt does exactly? Because obviously we know he's an executive at Doubleday, but we don't really see him doing much on the show besides bothering Elaine with these meaningless tasks. So do you have any theories? I always got the idea that he sort of dabbled in different industries and like I kind of planted the seed before that he's a charmer. And I think that he's kind of gotten through life. You know, I think maybe when he was younger, he was probably you know, pretty good looking guy and kind of sweet talk his way into things. He talks about his father a little bit. And I think that his father was probably like a powerful businessman who sort of built this empire um, because, yeah, obviously we see him at, at Double Day. And I thought, well, maybe he's like an editor, maybe something like that. But I think it kind of goes beyond that because because like he was friends with Jackie Onassis and like he's go- kind of going around and like sort of treating Double Day as like his own personal office you know um i think that and then later on we hear about like the big water merger he's got something to do with that so i think he's somebody that like has a lot of people working under him and sort of doing the day-to-day work and then you know he's coming in when he needs to and does his thing but it's not always like the best decision that he's making you know he's not necessarily the most business savvy guy as we see his interests and his concerns are very personal and are are very eccentric to say the least. So I think that basically he doesn't have like a specific job description per se, but he's somebody that's just sort of inherited this great amount of power and wealth and is kind of expected to keep certain plates spinning and, you know, basically does what he can with, with what he can do and then other people kind of have to, you know, do the, do the day-to-day work and clean up the mess, as it were. As we see with Elaine, we kind of get this microcosm with Elaine of having to take care of his day-to-day affairs, just, you know, taking care of buying him socks. And then, as we're going to see in the next episode, you know, Elaine sharpening his pencils, you know. And it's this, this thing of, it's Dustin Pitt's world, and we're all just living in it. And I guess he works from home, right? Because we never see them at an office. They're always in his apartment building. I assume he has offices, depending on the company it's in. Like like a double day, he probably has an office that he uses if he needs to go in. But yeah, he either like works from home or it's just as a need to know basis. You know, they call him or send him a fax or whatever if they need to. He probably has like a home office, I'm sure. Well, his next episode, The Pledge Drive, is another classic appearance. This is, of course, when we find out that Mr. Pitt likes to eat his Snickers bars with knife and fork. And this was actually inspired by a true story. Tom Gamble and Max Prost, the writers of the episode, knew a guy in college who ate a Snickers bar with a knife and fork. And they happened to be telling Larry David about it. And, of course, he told them, put that in the show. That's a show. Like so many Seinfeld stories, it wasn't even pitched as a story idea for an episode, but... We ended up getting one of Mr. Pitt's most memorable moments from the series. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just before that, I want to go back to the thing where Elaine is sharpening his pencils, you know, just doing this mundane task. But 
it's kind of funny that he's making her use a manual sharpener instead of using an electric one. And I'm wondering, like, if Mr. Pitt is one of these guys that doesn't like a lot of, you know, modern inventions, doesn't like certain things. Maybe the noise bothers him or something like that, because he, he just does. He leads like you this little dinky, like little kid pencil sharpener. And also it tracks, too, because later we'll see he doesn't like using ink. He doesn't want ink to be used anywhere. So, by the way, I love how he answers the phone in the beginning of that scene. He's like, hello. <laughs> and then he gets so disappointed when it's for Elaine. Must you keep giving my number out? Although, to be fair, it is his personal phone and, you know, she's working for him. Unless he specifically gave her permission to, you know, say, oh, you can tell your friends you're here. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, must you keep giving my number out? <laughs> <laughs> now, Mr. Pitt only eats one Snickers bar in that scene. But in reality, Ian Abercrombie ate about four or five Snickers bars during the filming. And he actually said that he could never eat another Snickers bar after that, which reminded me of friend of the show, Joel McCrary, who played the mechanic in the dealership episode. He told us that after he filmed that episode, he could never eat another Twix bar again. So they'll always have that connection. That's right. Candy ruined by rolls on Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) Also, in an interview that Ian gave on the DVDs, He said that the day after the episode aired, he was in a restaurant and the waiter brought over a plate to his table that had a Snickers bar on it. And he looked up and the entire restaurant was in on the joke. So that's kind of when he knew how big the show was, because it hadn't even been 24 hours since the episode aired and already everyone knew who he was. So I thought that was pretty incredible. Oh, yeah, I love that story. As soon as I knew we were talking about Mr. Pitt, I was like, I really hope we talk about that story because it's. It's just so interesting because, you know, Ian Abercrombie was obviously older. He was somebody that already had a distinguished career. And I don't think anybody in any walk of life from any stage of acting in their career would have had that experience of like, you know, just the fact that you're eating a Snickers bar with a knife and fork in a TV show is probably crazy enough for him. You know, and then the fact that the next day you have this whole just a random restaurant that you go to know to get a Snickers bar and put it on the plate and give it to you with a knife and fork the next day. It just must have been such an incredible feeling, but also this feeling like, wow, this is like nothing I'll ever experience again, probably. Also, isn't it amazing that this was only his second episode he appeared in and he only had one scene in that episode. And yet he already seems like such an important part of the show, almost like he's been there forever. Yeah, that's a good point. He made a really good impression. And like the Snickers bar with the knife and fork is so iconic and it feels like it should be further along in the season and further along in Mr. Pitt's arc. But yeah, you're right. It's at the very beginning. And I also love the fact that, you know, he is annoyed with Elaine. You know, she's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Pitt, it won't happen again. Like, I'm sure it won't. But somebody was crying. I want to know who it was. You know, he actually cares about whoever was on the other line. He doesn't know who this person is, some friend of Elaine's. but he wants to he wants to find out. Maybe he wants, you know, maybe he thinks it's some juicy gossip or something, but I think he wants to make sure everything's okay. Yeah, and I love how Elaine is just sitting on the floor sharpening the pencils like a little kid. The dynamic is so great between the two of them. Oh, yeah. Anyway, the next episode he appears in is The Gymnast, and this was one of his biggest episodes just in terms of dialogue and the amount of scenes that he was in. For those who don't remember, this was when Kramer orders the 3D art poster and picks it up at Mr. Pitt's place, which, by the way, always bothered Larry David. He never understood the point of having it be Kramer's poster. Like, why couldn't it be Elaine just framing it for Mr. Pitt? But I don't know. I kind of like seeing the dynamic between Kramer and Mr. Pitt in that scene. And also, I like that Kramer is the one responsible for Mr. Pitt getting so distracted by the poster that he can't do his job and it all falls on Elaine. Yeah, I agree. It feels very natural. Uh, the fact that you do need some kind of conflict, because I feel like it would be a little forced almost. It was just, oh, Mr. Pitt decided to get this random 3D art poster out of nowhere. But with Kramer, it's definitely more believable. But getting back to the beginning of that scene, Mr. Pitt asks Elaine to proofread a report for his meeting with the Poland Creek bottled water people. He sits on the board of trustees for Morgan Spring, and they're trying to acquire Poland Creek. 
but I love how his demeanor totally changes when he notices Elaine using a fountain pen. They smear. Under no circumstances is ink to be used in this office. All right, I'll use a pencil, Mr. Pitt. <laughs> As I said, that tracks from uh, the plugs drive. Yeah, and also the big salad, because we see Elaine picking up the Rolamec 1000 mechanical pencil for him. Oh, I know the Rolamec 1000. <laughs> there you go. But like we mentioned before, Kramer stops by to pick up his poster. And let's listen to the rest of the scene. Elaine, did I hear? This is very odd. Yeah, it's 3D art. Computers generate them. Big computers. Yes, I've heard about these. How do they work? Well, you blur your eyes like you're staring straight through the picture. And you keep your eyes unfocused. And then... Oh, oh, oh. Yeah! <laughs> I don't see it. Yeah, it's a spaceship surrounded by... Planets, asteroids? I still don't see it. Okay, uh, Kramer, that's enough. Mr. Pitt has got work to do. You ever dream in 3D? It's like the boogeyman is coming right at you. A spaceship? Where? Right in here. Just oh. keep your eyes unfocused. Wow! <laughs> oh, Mama! Kramer, what's wrong? Mama! I think I gotta go to the doctor. Oh, Mama! How long does it usually take? I love Mr. Pitt's face as he's staring at it and how he's just so full of wonder like a little kid you know yeah i know again it shows this like childlike and also uh you know immature side of him but i love when he first walks in the room and kramer's there and he's like well this is very odd and <laughs> I, you don't know if he's talking about kramer or the poster or just the situation it's, just, it's a great <laughs> line like <laughs> that's all he can say oh man yeah and once again, this kind of proves how comfortable Mr. Pitt is with Elaine, um, because not only is like one of her friends there and he just totally accepts that, OK, he came over to my house to pick this thing up. You know, he doesn't ask any questions. And all of a sudden he's explaining to him, oh, yeah, it's 3D art. You know, computers make it big computers. And Mr. Pitt's just enthralled with it. He doesn't ask any questions. He's like, oh, I want to see it. Like, I want that. That's all his mind goes to. And again, it shows he's very sort of comfortable with Elaine, like showing the side of himself, this vulnerability. And then a few scenes later, Mr. Pitt is becoming more and more frustrated with the fact that he can't see the image. And Elaine isn't making things any better. She's like, oh, look, it's a spaceship. That is so cool. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> unfocused. I am unfocused. The phone rings and the car is there to pick up Mr. Pitt to take him to the Poland Creek merger meeting. But Mr. Pitt is still mesmerized by the poster, and he tells Elaine to go for him instead. And I like how Elaine is just like, Mr. Pitt, I do not think that is such a good idea. Who damn this thing? Yeah, he just cuts her off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. And there's that anger again. He's starting to, you know, starting to lose it. Like, Mr. Pitt's not very, uh, not very stable, it seems, <laughs> to certain things. Yeah. So Elaine ends up going to the meeting, and... She asks them what the new name of the company is going to be, and they tell her, Moland Spring. And I just love that great Julia delivery when she's like, Moland. <laughs> yes, we combine Morgan and Poland. <laughs> yeah, I know, but Moland? I wouldn't drink anything called Moland. But it was Sister Pitt's idea. And by the way, in the original draft, it was Porgan Spring instead of Moland. But I think I prefer Merlin because of the way Julia delivers that line. Yeah, and Moland also sounds worse. <laughs> like, for, I mean, they both sound, you know, pretty rough, and they're not, not what you'd want to call your uh, bottled water company. But it also, but I think it also shows that you know, Mr. Pitt kind of got put into this position. You know, he's he's on the board of trustees. You know, whatever that means, he's on the board of trustees of several companies. I'm sure where he's, you know, getting paid to like, you know, okay. Once in a while, they ask him for his input. You know, we, we only wake you up for the important meetings <laughs> <laughs> and things like that. In the next scene, Mr. Pitt tells Elaine that he is very upset that she complained about the name, but she apologizes. And then he tells her that he's going riding. He hasn't been on Jenny for three days, all because of that blasted painting. And how would you describe Mr. Pitt's outfit in the scene? Like this hand felt material. Very odd, like this riding outfit. 
But uh, it tracks that he would need the white socks because, you know, he probably needs them for those those high boots that he's wearing. But, uh, yeah, it looks like it looks like it's very hot. Looks like it's an outfit that would be very hot to wear if you're riding on the back of a big sweaty horse. But, you know, what do I know? I'm, I guess I'm unsophisticated. But as he's about to leave, he spots something in the poster. The scene ends and then we cut back to Elaine on the phone with the board of directors. But Mr. Pitt is still staring at the poster and he tells her, you said keep your eyes out of focus, which is misleading. You want deep focus. <laughs> I got to agree with Mr. Pitt on this one, though. I can never get those stupid things to work either. Elaine then reaches into her bag and she ends up getting ink all over her hands. She hangs up the phone and tells Mr. Pitt, you have got to stop staring at that poster. But he tells her, I think I see something that could be a spaceship. Is it round? Is it pointed? And then Elaine takes the poster from him, breaks it in half with her knee, and then grabs him by the collar and tells him, you have to meet with the shareholders. You have to leave now. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? The best part of that is it's Kramer's poster. (laughs) She destroyed it. A. B. Obviously, Kramer... You know, I really thought it was cool and cared about it three days ago, but not getting fair enough about it to get it from Mr. Pitt's house and be like, all right, after a day, be like, all right, that's enough, guy. I need this for my house. I paid for it. That's a great point. But Mr. Pitt finally snaps out of it and he asks Elaine what time the meeting is. She tells him it's in about 20 minutes and he puts his finger up to his lip to ponder whether or not he has time to change. And when he takes his finger away, there's a huge ink smudge above his lip, which makes him look a lot like Hitler. (laughs) I'm getting a little uncomfortable with all the Hitler stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And then that sets up this classic Seinfeld ending as Mr. Pitt is standing behind a podium giving a very passionate speech at the meeting. I have been accused of wrongdoing, but these false accusations will not deter us. We will an exponent by the spring at any cost, and our stock will rise high. You know, oh, I mean, it's such a great clip, and I love this ending. But I think one thing that I noticed they did with Mr. Pitt was they went into territories that they hadn't gone into before for Seinfeld. And this was a very odd setup, and I'm very surprised that Larry was bothered by the whole Kramer's 3D art poster thing and not bothered by the setup, because the setup seems, I mean, it's great, but it is a little forced, and it's just crazy, you know, he happens to put his finger up to his lip, like, right in that specific spot, and, you know, Elaine happens to have the pen explode in her bag, and it was just, and it's great, I mean, like, it's funny, but... It just seemed very different for Seinfeld. And it was something that I think they like to do with Mr. Pitt is like these these odd kind of wacky setup scenes that they hadn't done before. And again, I'm just not saying that it's bad or anything. I love it. But I'm just very surprised that Larry gave it the pass. You know, it's a good point. I could see it in like a season eight or nine episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who's season eight or nine? It would it would fly under the radar for sure. But the fact that it's season six and it's you know, Mr. Pitt. And I think that, you know, you asked me about his outfit before, and obviously that outfit was specifically chosen, you know, to be that color and to have that kind of look. (laughs) And of course, you know, we named the company Poland and they have all, you know, it's just obviously very, it's very well done, but it's very like formulaic, I guess. But again, another classic Mr. Pitt appearance. It's almost like every scene he's in is a classic. You got the socks, you got him eating the Snickers bar with a knife and fork. Now this moment, and it only gets better in the next episode, the mom and pop store. Oh, yeah. This episode, of course, kicks off with Elaine sitting at her desk listening to big band music on the radio as she's desalting Mr. Pitt's pretzels. Oh, what a great scene. And scene that also tracks because obviously later on we'll go over at the Diplomats Club, but we find out Mr. Pitt has, you know, heart issues. So obviously he wants to reduce the salt. And I guess instead of buying low salt pretzels, he just has Elaine pick the ones, pick it off. And it also makes sense in the sock scene. He says that he doesn't want socks that cut off his circulation. Oh, that's true. 
And I think we have to play the rest of the scene because it's just too good. Elaine? Yes, Mr. Have you gotten all the salt of those pretzels yet? No, I'm still working on it. What places are you listening to? Artie Shaw, Honeysuckle Jump. That was Artie Shaw, Honeysuckle Jump. Elaine, how did you know that? Oh, my father used to have a huge collection of big band records. Congratulations to our listener, Wayne Hopper, for identifying it. And by doing so, he becomes our seventh person to man the WFBB-sponsored Woody Woodpecker balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. There are only three spots left. We're going to take a little break now. When we come back, you'll have three more chances to win a spot holding a rope under Woody Woodpecker. Could you identify the next song? Could you? Could you? But Mr. Pitt, why would you want to hold one of the ropes from the Woody Woodpecker balloon? My father was a stern man who forbade us to participate in any activities that he thought were associated with the common man. The Thanksgiving Day Parade was first on the list. Ah, uh, all right. Okay, I'll do the best I can. All right, here we go for the next spot under the balloon. If you know the name of this next song, call 555-BAND. Well, Elaine, do you know it? What song is it? Will you shut up? I can't hear. I'm sorry. Might be the greatest Mr. Pitt moment from the series. I mean, it's it's definitely hard to pick one, but that little dance he does is so memorable. And that line, next up, Pottersville, next up, Pottersville, you are a genius. I mean, just so iconic, you know? Oh, yeah. And he does that 180. You know, he walks in the room. He's like, what blazes are you listening to? Have you got the salt off those pretzels? And then. He's annoyed, but then he's very impressed that Elaine can name the song. And then he hears about the Woody Woodpecker contest and oh, forget it. That's uh that's, that's the nail that's the nail in the coffin. And you know, now that I'm thinking about it, he has a lot in common with Kramer because they're both fascinated with that three D art poster and they also love Woody Woodpecker. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> but another thing I wanted to ask you, you touched on it a little bit before, but we learn a little bit more about Mr. Pitt's father in this clip. So do you have any theories about his childhood and how he grew up? Yeah, like you said, his father was a stern man. And I think that his father was somebody that was a hard worker, probably came from like, you know, a lower class family or something, didn't have a lot and, you know, built himself up into a self-made man. Then he had this son and he doesn't talk about his mother. We don't know if he has any siblings or anything. Uh, but even if he does, it doesn't seem like, you know, Mr. Pitt really has any family, which is kind of sad. Uh, so, that's you know, that, that, but like I said, he kind of has his own world. And I think that he was somebody that had a lot given to him, but was also ex- had a lot expected of him. And he maybe didn't have that much of a childhood, like he was expected to start working when he was young. And then that sort of led into he didn't have the same experiences. So when he got older, he uh, started to do other things that, you know, his father wouldn't allow him to do. And I think that that's why we sort of see this immature childlike side and why he's so comfortable with Elaine. There's a lot of the men in Elaine's life are immature, obviously, you know, look at the main three and Mr. Pitt is just another, another, you know, immature guy. that's sort of this overgrown kid. And I think his father is a part of that. And perhaps, you know, maybe his mother, you know, wasn't around or, or, you know, had died young or something. And it was up to his father to sort of raise him and, you know, didn't have time for things like, oh, well, the parade, you know, it's, you know, it's not something that you need to be wasting your time with. You know, that's that's probably what what it is. And another example of how he can relate to Kramer, because I think Kramer had a tough childhood as well. Oh, yeah. Now, Tom Gamble and Max Prost mentioned on the DVDs that a lot of Elaine's storyline was cut from this episode. Originally, she was supposed to compete in a jitterbug contest with Mr. Pitt. But I think Julia was against the idea because they would have had to spend too much time working on it during rehearsals. So they decided to have her win a radio contest instead. But what do you think of that idea of having them enter a jitterbug contest? I don't know. That seems a little too sitcom-y. Unless, unless they had them lose. Um, that doesn't seem like a Seinfeld episode. Uh, you know, like, 
oh, let's enter the dance contest and we can, you know, it would have had to be the A story. Like it couldn't have been the mom and pop store thing with, because everybody, you know, everybody remembers it as the John Voight car. Like that's the A story. And I think, but I think the Woody Woodpecker stuff makes it more memorable than like, no, Elaine and Mr. Pitt in a jitterbug contest definitely wouldn't have been this memorable. Yeah, well, I think they would have won the contest because basically they knew that they wanted Elaine to not be able to hear at Tim Watley's party. And they wanted her to have the trophy so that Jerry could pop the Woody Woodpecker balloon. Yeah, so a dance contest wouldn't have made any sense. Well, I think they would have won the trophy at the dance contest. No, no, no. What I meant, sorry. What I meant was the hearing loss. Yeah, obviously they would have won the trophy at the dance contest, but like the dance contest wouldn't have made any sense for the hearing loss unless it was like they were dancing next to the band. But even then, that would have meant everybody lost their hearing that was in the contest. So. Yeah, I'm glad that they didn't do the Jitterbug storyline, but uh, I wish there were deleted scenes of them dancing together because that would have been fun to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. There was also a deleted scene from this episode where Jerry calls Mr. Pitt. And once again, he's like, hey, Mr. Pitt, is Elaine there? (laughs) And basically, he's calling her to confirm if she was invited to Tim Watley's party. And then eventually Elaine says to Jerry, I think Mr. Pitt is a bit of a mental case. And you could hear Mr. Pitt off camera doing the Woody Woodpecker laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of wish they kept that in. Yeah, I know, but that, that would have been kind of fun. And the only other scene Mr. Pitt appears in is at the very end when Jerry and Kramer are watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade on TV. And we see Mr. Pitt looking pretty disappointed as the Woody Woodpecker balloon is running out of air. Oh, man, I feel so bad for him. You know, he's all dressed up in his fancy suit and he's so proud to be in the parade. And yeah, and there's that poor guy dressed as Woody Woodpecker running around behind him. <laughs> Those kids look pretty disappointed, yeah, especially that big kid at the front. How old is he? <laughs> Thing I don't get about that scene. Wouldn't Kramer recognize him on TV? That's exactly what I was going to say, because he. I mean, unless he, he didn't didn't get a good look at him, but I'm very surprised that Kramer didn't say something. And also, Elaine told them that Mr. Pitt was holding the rope under the Woody Woodpecker balloon in the parade. So wouldn't they realize that was him? I guess maybe they just don't care. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say for Kramer, you know, he probably just doesn't remember because he got hit in the head in 79 and he doesn't have good memory. That's true. He was living in the village back then, right? Right. Don't really remember. (laughs) But anyway, I love that episode. It's always been a part of my Thanksgiving tradition and just another solid Mr. Pitt performance. Oh, yeah. Well, the next episode Mr. Pitt appears in is The Doorman. Jerry and Elaine are sitting in Mr. Pitt's apartment waiting for the doorman to leave when the phone rings. No, don't. Hello. Mr. Pitt. Hello, Mr. Pitt. How's Scotland? Elaine, are you having a party? A party? Oh, no. That was just my stupid friend, Jerry. All right, he just left. We can go. Because there's to be no entertaining while I'm gone. Believe me, we're not entertained. We were just leaving. Oh, can you grab those empty bottles for me? I need to know what's in the mail. Oh, well, Mr. Pitt, there's really nothing that can't wait. We're trying to catch a movie. Well, you better catch the latest show because I need to know what's in the mail. All right. I can't go. (laughs) Another classic Julia delivery. And I love that Jerry answers the phone, by the way. Like, why would he do that? Well, yeah, it's obviously just to mess with Elaine because he knows that Mr. Pitt's going to get upset with that. Right. And Jerry also answers the phone with the classic, hey, Mr. Pitt. It's like in the (laughs) chaperone. (laughs) Yep. Now, there was also some deleted dialogue from this scene where Mr. Pitt is talking about Mrs. Payton, who is the head of the building co-op committee. And apparently he was trying to get a permit so that he could buy the apartment next door to him so that he can tear the walls down to build a gymnasium. So basically, he was just telling Elaine to be nice to Mrs. Payton if she saw her. And of course, we end up seeing Mrs. Payton later in the episode when the couch is stolen. But I don't know. I don't think it was necessary to keep that in. But. It does give it a little more backstory. Yeah, it makes a little more sense of why Elaine would be so upset about things going wrong in Mr. Pitt's building. 
I mean, obviously having the couch stolen out of the lobby is enough to, to carry it. Um, but again, one of these plot lines with Mr. Pitt where it's not something that would have been done in the Seinfeld universe. Like who else in their, in their circle, even their extended circle would have had the means to buy the apartment next door and turn it into a gymnasium and have to, you know, worry about that with the building committee. It's like a very, very high end New York sort of storyline that you wouldn't really see anywhere else. And also we really have Mr. Pitt to thank for this entire storyline. Um, if Elaine wasn't working for him, Jerry would have never had to stop by the apartment building. He would have never interacted with the doorman. And we would have never just had those great scenes with, you know, Larry Miller and, and Jerry just back and forth. It's great. And uh, we really do have Mr. Pitt to thank for that. It would have been fun to get a scene with the doorman and Mr. Pitt interacting somehow. But I know that wasn't possible since he was in Scotland. Yeah, that's true. That would have been a lot of fun to see. Like maybe we could have seen if, when he gotten back. Because I always wondered what Mr. Pitt's opinion of the doorman was, because we see like when Jerry's filling in, we have that one guy that comes in who's like really rude. And he's like, I've lived here for 20 years. I'm going to call the police. And I don't think like, Mr. Pitt would necessarily act outright rude to, to the doorman. I think he might say hello, but I wonder if he realizes that that particular doorman's insane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there was also some additional deleted dialogue where. We learn that Mr. Pitt redeems his bottles for five cents. And Jerry says, Mr. Pitt of Park Avenue has to redeem his bottles. And Elaine says, yeah, and I'm the one who has to take him to the deli. It's really embarrassing. And then Jerry ends up offering Elaine five dollars so she doesn't have to redeem them. And she agrees and just leaves them outside the door. (laughs) Oh, they could have saved him and given him to Kramer and Newman. I was going to say another way that Kramer and Mr. Pitt can relate. I think Mr. Pitt would have enjoyed the uh, Michigan debate deposit scam. Oh, that's so true. That, that's who we should have called. He could have figured out a way. Man. Something's missing. Something's missing. All right. <laughs> but the only other time we hear Mr. Pitt in this episode is when Elaine is on the phone with him as she's going through his mail. And she's like, the new Time magazine, the new people. And he's like, oh, who's on the cover? <laughs> yeah, that's another great way that Mr. Pitt fits into the Seinfeld universe. Getting the mail is very important to him. You know, we see that a lot with Jerry as well, where, you know, it's very meticulous. And George is offended when he isn't asked to get the mail. So Mr. Pitt's the same way, where he needs to know what's in the mail. You know, it's mostly junk mail anyway. And it's like, Junk mail. If, there, if it wasn't for junk mail, there would be no mail, you know. So, and it's it's great too how yeah you know, that that's like the most important thing. It's nothing work related. It's nothing, you know, with his family or anything. It's oh, who's on the cover of People? That's who he needs to, to find out about. <laughs> <laughs> well, sadly, the last episode Mr. Pitt appears in before the finale is the Diplomats Club. And we actually reviewed this episode a while back when we interviewed Christine Cattell, who played the flight attendant, who tells Jerry, the pilot has asked that you leave this plane. (laughs) Yeah, she was great. She was great, but we're we're not going to take a deep dive into this episode since we already discussed it. But there are a few things we still want to mention. First off, the episode starts with Elaine telling Jerry that she's going into Mr. Pitt's office and telling him that she is quitting. She's marching in. George has done the march in. Best feeling in the world. How about the march out? Not as good. That's when you realize all the money you're losing. (laughs) Now, when she marches into Mr. Pitt's office and then he cuts her off to tell her that he's putting her in his will. Do you think her tone changes because she's genuinely moved by this? Or do you think she's happy because she knows she's having some money coming her way at some point? I mean, you hate to think of Elaine as that superficial. But I definitely think that's what pops into her head. I mean, she probably does have some sentimentality and does sort of see Mr. Pitt as this father figure. But, yeah, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that she's she's pretty excited about the money. And it also tracks that Mr. Pitt feels very comfortable, though, that I think he's being sincere, that he sees her as a daughter and. You know, go back to his family. We don't know if Mr. Pitt's ever been married, if he's ever had children. There's no mention of that anywhere. So Elaine is certainly like a daughter to him. And I think he's totally being sincere with that. 
And I will say Elaine does seem sincere when she tells Mr. Pitt that he has to check with the pharmacy before he combines any of his anything with his heart medication. Yeah, it seems like uh, the heart problems track, but they were fairly recent because he has medication on hand that might be dangerous. And it's like, you're, well, if it shouldn't be taken with your heart medication, you should really get rid of it. Um, this has been pharmacy corner with the place to be. Uh, <laughs> but it's just kind of an odd thing that always when I see this episode, I'm like, well, if it, he's not supposed to take it. Why is he have it in his house? And, you know, he should yeah, obviously go to the pharmacy and find out which one is safe for him to take. So Mr. Pitt takes Elaine's advice and goes to the pharmacist. Jerry is there and he's wearing a tie. He has a pen in his ear and he's cleaning up this big display case that Kramer just knocked over. And this is one of my favorite moments from the episode. Excuse me. I take heart medication. What would you recommend for a runny nose? Take an antihistamine. They're, they're over there. It is all right to take them. Oh, yeah, they're great. What about appetite suppressants? Uh, I just saw them. Oh, yeah, there you go. Have a good day, sir. I always thought it was interesting that Jerry saw Mr. Pitt a few times in the series, uh, obviously in this scene and also when he's watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And I don't think there's too many examples of that where Jerry has met or seen a character without realizing that it's them. Yeah, especially such a big ticket character like Mr. Pitt. Yeah. I just want to say, why did Jerry take it upon himself to give Mr. Pitt advice? Well, we know he doesn't like pharmacists because they have to be two and a half feet up. Look out, everybody. I'm working with pills. (laughs) That's true. I guess he thinks it's a job anybody can do. But anyway, thanks to Jerry, Mr. Pitt is bedridden for the rest of the episode. And this is when we meet Lenore Walker, Mr. Pitt's estate lawyer, who I think is just fantastic in this episode. And I like that we got to meet someone else who is a part of Mr. Pitt's world, you know? Yeah, yeah, and she's really good at playing that part of you're not really sure where her loyalties lie, but does she really care about Mr. Pitt? Is she just out for herself? Like, because, you know, Elaine's a little bit younger than her, and maybe Mr. Pitt always saw Lenore as a daughter, and now he's changing his will. It's like, oh, you know, what's what's this going to happen with me? And But then again, it could be like, oh, well, this person, you know, she's really asking well how do you how well do you know her you know what is she capable of yeah i love how suspicious she is of elaine right off the bat and how she plants that seed in mr pitt's head and there's also that great moment where it looks like elaine is trying to smother mr pitt with a pillow and then elaine looks back at her and waves and she's got that great look on her face oh so wonderful seinfeld didn't usually do that misunderstanding humor either you know where like the character's doing something doing one thing and the character walks in and thinks it's something else. And that's sort of dramatic irony. You really didn't see it too often in the show. And in this episode, they really played it out well. And I think again, with Mr. Pitt, they were able to bring that idea to life. Yeah. And really Lenore's facial expressions are a big reason why a lot of the scenes work. Another great reaction she has is when she's listening to Elaine's phone call with Jerry and Elaine is like, I said, I'll take care of it. Yeah, exactly. Just more that, you know, the audience knows what's going on, but oh, it's great. And uh, isn't Elaine also reading Fatal Vision when when Jerry calls? <laughs> That's right. And then it all comes to a head when Lenora is watching the news with Mr. Pitt, and there's a story about a lost Manhattanite drove through a residential backyard and wound up in a swimming pool in Ithaca, New York. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld seemed a little freaked out cut to jerry that's it no more questions i don't care (laughs) (laughs) go through the bushes to somewhere yeah mr pitt realizes that's him that's the man who gave me the pills in the drugstore he's no pharmacist seinfeld he called here for elaine earlier and then another fantastic facial expression as lenore looks over at mr pitt and realizes elaine is somehow involved uh, and it's so funny how Jerry doesn't recognize Mr. Pitt really at all. And Mr. Pitt recognizes Jerry like right away as soon as he sees him on TV. Well, that's the guy from the pharmacy. <laughs> you know, he tried to kill me. And then poor Lainey, the next scene, Mr. Pitt fires her. And we get that great montage of all the great Mr. Pitt moments from the series. 
and kind of a sentimental moment for Seinfeld. Yeah, I know. For a show that's no hugging, no learning. And, you know, also kind of semi-serious. Like, Elaine's really upset that she lost this job. And, you know, I think she was really becoming fond of Mr. Pitt, despite everything. It's true. But, yeah, it just didn't work out for Elaine. I always thought Ava would have been a great assistant for Mr. Pitt. That would have been interesting to see. Yeah. Although, I don't know how she would have taken... uh, you know, him being so demanding because, you know, it seems like with her, Costanza just kind of let her go on autopilot because he didn't have to be bothered, you know, but Mr. Pitt's more of a micromanager. So I think there'd be more of a clash. Yeah, it would be interesting to see for sure. Oh, definitely. <laughs> we do see Mr. Pitt one more time in the finale, of course. He only has one line, but it's a pretty good one. She tried to smother me with a pillow. And it's too bad that he believes that. Because that's not what it was, but, you know. Yeah, and I feel like he should have mentioned Jerry, too. But I guess they just didn't have enough time. Yeah, maybe he said it beforehand and they just, you know, cut the clip apart where he says that one line. But, yeah, it is. It's a great way for uh, the last time we see Mr. Pitt. All right. Well, now that we reviewed all of his episodes and all of his greatest moments. We recently polled our listeners on Instagram and we asked you guys what your favorite Mr. Pitt moment was from the series. And we actually got almost a thousand responses. So thank you so much for participating. But the winner with 41 percent of the votes was next stop, Pottersville, next stop, Pottersville. You are a genius. (laughs) Can't argue with that pick. No, that's that's just a classic. And it's very prominently featured in the. uh, that final clip show before the finale there's you know you see him doing in the little one of the action sequences you see him dancing and it's great do you have a favorite mr pitt moment from the series you know i was thinking about this a lot i really got to go with the snickers bar scene because there's so much backstory to it there's the story with him at the restaurant the next day which i love there's him like really making a lot of noise during the scene where he's like clanging the plate, you know, and it's it, the knife is hitting the plate and he's doing it so matter of factly sitting there eating and, and <laughs> while late is trying to, to tell this story and also process what's going on at the same time. And he just treats it like a normal everyday occurrence. So this is, you know, this is what I do. And I think that's it. Uh, what about you? Do you have a favorite? Uh, for some reason, the socks to me is is my favorite when it all comes to a head at the end, when there's socks displayed all over the couch and on the floor. And, you know, Elaine's yeah. just I had it with him. You know, what do you want? And he, I want a decent sock that's comfortable. That will stay on my foot. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why I love that moment so much. Oh, I mean, it's it's uh, it just turns the energy up to 100 because you're not sure where this character is going to end up. And of course, you have that great that great line from Jerry that sets it up. All she has to do is buy Mr. Pitt a pair of socks. <laughs> and you just know that it's that this is okay. This is where it's going now. We're in season six. Let's do it. And I also feel like that episode was so important for Mr. Pitt because the fact that that episode turned out so well was the reason why they brought him back for so many more episodes. So I just feel like not only is that a great scene, but it's such an important scene for the series. You know, I. I don't know. I just I love that scene a lot. And it's just amazing that he was only in seven episodes. And I feel like we say this about a lot of the characters that we've dedicated episodes to. But that's the one thing about Seinfeld. I feel like they used each character for just the right amount of time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are a couple of episodes where he's mentioned, like in the switch and the scofflaw. And I think it would have been fun to maybe see a scene with him there. You know, maybe we could have seen his match with Ethel Kennedy. But you're right. They used him a proper amount of times and he had a great little arc in season six. And, you know, him and Elaine just had this great story together. And it's just so memorable. Yeah, such a great character. And it's a shame that we'll never get to interview Ian Abercrombie. But I'm glad that we got to do this tribute episode, at least. And I had a lot of fun. And I hope our listeners had as as much fun listening to it as we did recording it. Oh, yeah, I hope so, too. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun talking about him. And the def- and he's definitely an important part of Seinfeld. Absolutely. And 
We hope you enjoy the rest of your day. We thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Katie, looks like Woody Woodpecker is running out of air. In fact, he's collapsing. <laughs> These kids look pretty disappointed. Especially that big kid up in the front. How old is he? <laughs>